Welcome to episode 57 of the FarmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, senior editor of FarmExec magazine and your podcast host. FarmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Pratap Kedkar, managing principal of ZS Associates. Pratap talks about the complex problems pharma faces in the short, mid, and long term as a result of COVID-19 and how companies should plan to deal with them. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Pratap. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at trueserumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, I'll be interviewing Pratap Kedkar, Managing Principal of ZS Associates. Pratap is here to talk about pharma's scenario planning amid COVID-19 as it looks to settle into a new normal. Thanks for joining us today, Pratap. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. So ZS recently held a virtual roundtable that included 14 biopharma executives, and they discussed the complex problems that they anticipate as a result of COVID-19. Could you describe some of the main points that came out of that event? Absolutely. So we had a number of different pharmaceutical clients, and I think three things came out loud and clear. The first was that this was not just about the patients getting COVID-19. Obviously, a lot of the press coverage, the media coverage is all about the folks who are suffering directly from COVID. And obviously, that is the main story. But I think our nation spends three to four trillion, trillion a year on healthcare that is about the non-COVID-19 patient. And the big question was an amazing, a yawning care gap has opened on that front how will we take care of the non-COVID-19 patients? So that was the main theme. And the second theme, of course, which is related to that was that there are many things that were disrupting the healthcare system right now, but let's just focus on that care gap for the patient that we just talked about. What are some significant issues that are coming up there and how can pharma help? I think three of the issues that came up, major barriers to access to care, and I can go into some detail, but the idea that you know more than half the patients, something like 58%, fear of exposure. Even if they overcome that fear, there aren't any appointments or doctor's offices to go to uh, many, many of, uh, much of the time. The second piece was that we have to engage with our customer. Our chief customer, of course, has been always the physician, but also the patient. How do we engage them differently? Because our face-to-face -face ways of interacting with the physician have been completely shut down. And the third piece was... How do we align to the new healthcare practices that are developing, like telehealth, like taking care of the patient at home, perhaps for infusions, like the financial needs that they will have? So I think those were the three themes that came out, but it was all about making sure that we take care of the care gap for the non-COVID-19 patient, uh, of course, in different therapy areas, depending on which pharma company was focused on it. So when pharma looks to plan for the future, how did they do that when the future is just so unsure? 
I think that came out very loud and clear as, you know, one of them, in fact, said, well, if I known this was two months, six months, a year, two years, I would plan for it very differently. I don't know. What should I do? I think that indecision, that sort of sense of I'm frozen because I don't quite know which way to go is very palpable. The way that I think the whole meeting coalesced around that idea was, let's think of it as three phases. The first phase is almost over. This is crisis management. I think farmers done a good job of making sure that their employees are safe. Everything is you know, buttoned down, so to speak. The second phase is the tricky one. And I think we are entering that now in the beginning of May. Um, business unusual, we are calling it. And this is the idea that for the next one to two years, perhaps more, perhaps less, depending on exactly what treatments are found. But for the next one to two years, before we get herd immunity, there will be a lot of bumpiness to our future. And the third phase is, of course, the new normal when things are stable, but the world will have been permanently altered. I think to your question, Elaine, the main way to think about it is, let's not worry about is it this scenario or that scenario? Is it three months? Is it 13 months? Let's think about what will be inevitably true. And there are some common universal truths across all those scenarios that I think the the audience settled on. One is that the opening up of the country will be very messy and regionally diverse, very heterogeneous compared to how we went into it. So we have to come up with a commercial strategy or a reopening strategy that is aligned to geographic differences. I think the second piece is we have to make sure back to the care gap, we have to find novel solutions for those patients in terms of the care gap. And the third piece is how do we re-engage with the physician when we are allowed to go back into their practices. So those are the three main themes, which I think will remain true, regardless of whether it's six months or two years. And I think pharma will need to create these three capabilities very quickly. How does pharma need to approach patients and physicians differently and change its communication with them in the upcoming transitional months and beyond? So let's start with the physician. I think two things have happened on the physician front. One is that what they are requiring, what they want pharma to do is quite different now. In fact, we run this research where we talk to them. And depending on geography, of course, it varies. But in the heavily impacted states in COVID, for instance, 74% of patient visits are remote. So the doctor is saying, look, I'm doing telehealth. Can you align your promotional model so that I can actually give all resources like samples, like literature, like patient kits, like education, when I don't actually have the patient in front of me. So is your promotional model aligning to the way my healthcare practice is changing specifically around telehealth? So that's, that's a different kind of information need or service need. The second piece is they want uh, services on behalf of the patients. Oh, the patient says, you know what, can you infuse me at home somehow or at an alternate site? Well, somebody has to scramble and figure out the logistics of what that means. The pharma companies are in a good position to do that, and obviously it behooves them to actually do something about getting their medication to the patient as opposed to the patient coming to the medication. The doctors are helpless because they have limited staff. Half of that staff has been furloughed, so they are really looking for help. And the third piece is communication that you asked about, which is, can you come up with a way to engage with me that is not quite face-to-face, that is virtual, but it's not just a barrage of emails. I think that's one of the things that pharma is realizing is that you know before COVID, uh, the rep engagement was about 47%. About half the doctors were fine seeing reps all the time, and only 10% said yes to email. And of course, that has flipped a little bit. 
as a result of COVID. And so we need a better blend of the physical and the virtual going forward. So that's that issue about you need to communicate with me differently compared to the model you've been used to. So these are the three asks from doctors. The patient asks are more around that service that I talked about, which is, can you make care more convenient for me? And then the second piece, of course, is financial need, given the unemployment figures that we're looking at. There seems to be so many people suffering financially and losing insurance right now. How do you think pharma can step in and how can it deal with the gaps in care? So I think, uh, as you have seen from some of the announcements from some of the bigger pharmaceutical companies, I think many of them have admirably already stepped in. For instance, providing essentially free medications or dramatic copay relief to those patients who have recently been unemployed as a result of COVID. So I think that those programs have already been rolled out, perhaps not by every pharma company, but many. So that's going to be one piece. I think the second piece that is more implicit, pharma doesn't play a direct role in distributing the money, is what the patient assistance foundations do in terms of giving this financial relief to a lot of uh, patients. Of course, it's completely disconnected from or uh, you know, not linked to a specific pharma company, but pharma companies do provide a lot of the funding. I think those patient assistance foundations are also in some trouble because they typically uh, fundraise in conferences like an ASCO, but of course all the conferences are virtual. And overall, there's less money to go around as we look uh, to a deep recession. And so I think there are two or three areas where pharma can step up and has, but I think longer term, we have to also figure out how to help the healthcare system operate with less finances. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a couple of things that are coming on the horizon. One is telehealth, which is cheaper, but there's also less reimbursement. And at the moment, reimbursements may turn out to be okay, but nobody's been paid yet for all the telehealth visits in March and April. And I think as the, as the reimbursement starts coming in, and even besides that, a lot of practices will find that they are short-staffed. They had to furlough them. They had to lay off practices, uh, lay off uh, you know, uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. So all of this is also happening. So it's not just about the medication being less expensive. I think pharma will have to work with a leaner healthcare system because it will be hurting for quite a while. And I think even though pharma sales may recover to some extent, I think its ability to work with this altered and hurting and damaged healthcare system is here for the long run. And I think that's the mindset change that we need to have with beyond just you know, financial relief in the immediate three to six month time period. So taking a long-term view, how do you think all these dynamics might spark lasting behavior change for pharma post-pandemic? I think post-pandemic, there are probably three or four things that pharma will have to end up doing, in my opinion. And we've hinted at some of these things, but they will become permanent. One is this idea that pharma marketing was all about push. I mean, if you think about it, if I add up you know, all the rep stuff we did and all the digital email pushes we did, alerts, emails, things like that, we were hitting some of the high-value physicians 2,700 times a year as an industry. It's push, you know, with a capital P. And what COVID has done is to say, no, no, that model's got to change. It can't be all this pushing. It can't be all this in-person stuff. You have to come up with a hybrid approach, which blends together the in-person, the virtual, and the digital seamlessly. 
Uh, and it's not just because of customer experience. It's because the physician for a long time may not ever be able to let a lot of reps into their waiting room because of social distancing, because, you know, half the patients don't want to come. The waiting rooms cannot be full. All of these things that we will see over the next two years will become habits. And so I think even post-pandemic, what we are going to see is a change in that engagement model to this hybrid way of working. So that's a big change for pharma marketing and sales. That's one of them. A second change is that we will go in terms of sort of content and services um, from uh, essentially a selling promotion mentality to a support service mentality. So that's not just about how you engage. It's about what you show up with. What is it that you engage with? And I think over the next couple of years, it will be less about saying, oh, here's the you know 15th time I want to repeat my message about the product because the physician is looking for those things I talked about, medical information, patient service support, new ways of supporting the, the way they're working in terms of healthcare delivery. I think that pull for those new things, new content will become established and ongoing even post-pandemic. Um, and remember some of the things you do, like if you go to virtual engagement and you have to send a lot of emails, you can't just have five emails that you keep sending again and again. You need a content factory. Uh, you need some way to come up with new useful content that is personalized deeply for the physician. Again, that becomes a matter of habit. So I think what happens post-pandemic, Elaine, is this transition from you started with compulsion, then you went into a phase of fear where patients and you know other other stakeholders were afraid to work the way they did, but then the fear became a habit. And so post-pandemic, those are some of the habits that we will pick up: a different way to engage, push instead of uh, sorry, pull instead of pause. And then the other aspect is geographic heterogeneity, meaning parts of the U.S. because they will be sort of evolution, you know, evolving very bumpily in a lumpy way as the, the pandemic makes its way up and down through the winter, perhaps local base over the next two, three years, we will have come up with an operating model in pharma where local teams are given a little bit more power because the whole country or the HQ can't wait to say, well, once the entire country gets into one state, then I will tell them all to do something. That way of working will have broken. And so in the post-pandemic age, we will see a little bit more local empowerment and the ability of the teams to do what is right for the customer that they're very uh, near to. So I think these are all changes that we've been talking about for a long time in pharma, but this was the crucial nudge, the push, you know, this pandemic, which may perhaps make some of these changes permanent in the long run. Okay, well, thank you so much, Pratap, for being with us today. We certainly appreciate you sharing your insights about the deep effects that COVID is going to have on the industry. It's very informative. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. It was a pleasure talking with you. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At Truth Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. Truth Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truthserumntwk.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. This is Pratap Kedkar. I'm a managing principal with ZS Associates. And my leadership tip today is actually composed of two conflicting pieces. Become 
indispensable and become dispensable. The first is about growing into your job and defining your impact, not in terms of what you do, but in terms of the impact it has on your client, your end customer. And the second piece is once you have that impact, start to grow out of it, which means you have to let your team, someone else grow into your job. That's how you become dispensable. And I think together is how you have impact, but also keep growing. As a special bonus this week, we have some additional leadership comments from one of our 2020 Emerging Pharma Leaders. Here's a word from David Lee, Chief Executive Officer of Servier Pharmaceuticals. On the reputation and relationship, that was how I built Servier Pharmaceuticals. So most of the people that I, that I brought in, um, many of them I've worked with in the past, so the relationship really mattered. Uh, it was, and, and I still do that often, it's being able to pick up the phone and, and convince people in a very competitive industry uh, where there's a lot of fight for talent to potentially, you know, say that you know, they'll come and work with me again. And, and that, that sell is difficult, right? And so even the people that didn't know me, uh, the reputation really matters. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com. 